0: Welcome to Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, a luxury interior designer and construction expert. Educated at the New York School of Interior Design and employed by AD Top 100 firms, I have created a niche expertise in managing large-scale construction projects from renovations to new builds over the past three decades. Today, I'm on a mission to instill confidence in designers through this podcast and my online course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. Whether you are new to construction management or a seasoned designer like me, I am all about transparency and tactical advice for fellow designers. On this podcast, I share actionable steps, practical tips, real-life examples, and behind-the-scenes tricks that I use while managing construction projects. Not only will they keep them on schedule and on budget, but will give you the confidence to know that these projects will end successfully, protecting your profit as well as leading to a pipeline full of incredible referrals. If you've been searching for support and advice on construction management to grow your skills and confidence so you can avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past, then you're in the right place. Before we get started, I want to thank each of you for being a part of this community. Your listens, subscribes, and reviews are what allows me to make this show great week after week. I've got lots of plans for growing this podcast, and that's enabled by you. Make sure to follow the podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoy this episode, spread the word. Leave a review and tell your interior design friends how much they can learn from this show. So here we are mid-summer, and if any of you are like me, you're starting to slow your pace and finally relax and take a moment for yourself. But what that also has meant to me is I have been putting things off that I probably shouldn't be, Or at least not as long as I've been putting them off for. And so today I am so excited to welcome my friend Desi Cresswell back to the podcast. This is her third time sharing her expertise with fellow interior designers. And it was because of an aha moment I had while walking one morning listening to Desi's new podcast, The Interior Design Business CEO. And she did an entire episode called The Later Habit, her episode number 35. And while walking, I was laughing and chiding myself and thinking, oh, my God, Desi has recorded this one just for me. So I knew everyone listening would also relate to this later habit that we all tend to slide into, especially when it's summer months and schedules are all wonky and we're out of sorts. So. For those of you who haven't heard Desi on the show before, she is a master certified life and business coach who helps interior designers build thriving businesses without the stress and overwhelm. She uses a blend of mindset, actionable strategies, and industry-specific expertise. Desi supports clients with topics such as time management, leadership, delegation, systems, and goal setting. And the best part about it is she was one of us. She is a trained interior designer who left practicing in order to dive in and support designers even more. You can learn more about Desi at her website, www.desicresswell.com. But right now, let's dig in. So please, everyone welcome my friend Desi Cresswell, who has a new podcast, the Interior Design Business CEO. Hi, Renee. It's so great to see you. Thank you so much, Desi, for coming on. I appreciate this so much. I have shared with Desi before the call that I had an aha moment while listening to Desi's new podcast, The Interior Design Business CEO. Desi and I are friends. She's been on this podcast uh, two other times. But I was out for my morning walk, and I usually listen to podcasts then. And I was tuning into her episode about the later game and pretty much stopped dead in my tracks because I felt she was talking to me directly because I am the queen of the later game. So Desi, why don't you explain what the later game is and how we are all or how a lot of us are suffering from its
1: effect? Yeah. And I think it is pretty much all of us to a certain extent. So let's just not make ourselves wrong or bad for sometimes latering, because it's just something that we do. But what I mean by latering or the later habit is really just that putting things off. It's that little voice in your head that says, I'll do it later. Or it might sound like I'll do it when and then fill in the blank. So when I am this way, when this happens, when I've achieved this, right, we could go on and on. But When we think about the later habit, it's really starting with a thought that we're having that says, I'll do it later. That little whisper sometimes, and sometimes it's really loud. And then that leads us to putting things off, whether that is a habit that you want to reinforce or doing some task in your business. It can be so many different things. We later really in every area of life.
0: And really it, it, dawned on me because I, anyone who knows me who's listening will laugh at this because I've always said, Oh, I'm, I'm a deadlines girl. Give me a deadline. Don't tell me you get to it when you can, because to me that's never right. That's whenever I can means I can't because there's no deadline. And so the further aha moment was that's just me latering right? That's me saying, if you don't give me, have this done by Monday or say on a construction site, have this decision made by Tuesday, then three weeks will go by or whatever if I'm really busy on other tasks. And really it's just me latering. I love that. I think I'm going to just say I'm latering right now and see, see who calls (laughs) me out on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, That is one of the key issues with the later habit is that it's very ambiguous. And that's also what makes it successful for us is that we're able to get that immediate relief of sort of, you know, sometimes taking it off of our plate physically or metaphorically. And we get that relief of, yeah, I'll do that later. I don't have to do it now. And as you're saying, Renee, with the deadline, There is that set point. And so that could potentially be a strategy that works for you is to say, I know that my brain's naturally going to want to tell me that I'll do that later. And so I'm going to set deadlines, even if they're internal deadlines, so that I have a firm commitment with myself. So that could be a strategy that you use.
0: I'd love to give myself credit for that, but I think it's just me needing a deadline, needing someone else to create that that point of completion. But I, I will say I am, I do like writing my lists, my to-do lists, and they have to be handwritten, which I know Desi will probably say is not a good use of time, but they have to be handwritten. That's and not I, true. <laughs> and I have to have the act of crossing it out. And so all of these devices, all of these, you know, Asana and all, I have those as well. But for some reason, seeing it visually on a sheet of paper makes me more accountable than seeing it on a screen. Can't say the why, but I do find that I can keep bigger thoughts on a screen, but the tasks, the minutiae really is better or more quickly completed if it's handwritten out on a note. And I have notes all over the house and my kids and my my husband they're like you know you have a note in the other room i'm like don't touch it that one is about personal items or don't touch this one that's about work or don't touch this one that's about something else but yeah okay, I, i'm I,
1: fascinated by this okay we have to just pause pause <laughs> 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 okay so first of all other things do not make us accountable other people don't make us accountable planners don't make us accountable sticky notes deadlines nothing makes us accountable except ourselves Oh, you're ruining this for me. <laughs> okay. No, this is, I I think could be really fantastic to explore is like, what are you thinking when you see it on paper that's different than digital?
0: I don't know, but it, you know, it's interesting. I have teenagers, you know, they cram for final exams and they get printouts, say from school and they'll review those and they'll say, mom, can you call these out? And I'm like, I want to see you write this out. They're like, why? And I'm like, because to me, when I write it, it goes in my brain. And they're like, whatever, mom, you know, you hear that all the time. And then when they do, they know the material so much faster. And they're like, oh, my God, you're right. And, you know, of course, I don't have that on tape. But I'm the same way. If I physically write something
1: out, it is committed to my brain. And I just, yes. that's just and how i There are I've studies been. that that support that, that writing it out by hand is more effective in terms of recall and memory. Then typing.
0: And I'm wondering so, if that's why I do the tasks in that same fashion because I've written it as opposed to typed it.
1: Yeah. I'm curious because remembering and being accountable are two different things True. in my opinion. So what do you think about that? No, that
0: makes sense. But you're right. I, I am much more accountable when I write out my notes as opposed to having it in like an Asana app. Cause mm-hmm. I've tried all of them, the to-do app, you name it. I've tried those apps thinking it will be, make me more
1: organized and it, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't work. Yeah. And that's because tools, they're tools essentially to help with your planning. That's what I always teach with my clients is that, you know, we can have the most perfectly laid out planner or perfectly laid out plan, but that's not going to make you do the thing. You do the thing because of you deciding to do the thing. And I'm curious with your written out list. I wonder if somehow that feels more permanent or less easy to shift or later with than a digital format.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's possible. Yes. And it's a visual reminder. I don't always have the app up on my computer. It's tab, but Mm -hmm. I don't always have it open to be that reminder. And I know, and I'm sure I, People are listening, going, Renee, you can put bells and whistles and alarms, and and I do know all that. I just haven't really dot, gotten into them. But you're right. I have both the Asana app, and then I have a handwritten list. I can see it on my desk right now, and there are things that are crossed off, and so it draws my eye to the things that are not crossed off.
1: Mm-hmm. And then there's yeah. that self satisfaction of
0: crossing something off. You know? Yeah,
1: that- I agree with that. I agree. Yeah. I do a mix of digital and paper too. So okay. I really think it's all about finding what works for you.
0: Yes. Well, I would love to like have one tool, but I, I just don't see, I tried and it just doesn't. I agree with you. I think maybe that's the checks and balances I need.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I'm always really encouraging, we'll say in clients is curious evaluation with the planning process and time management and weekly really looking at, what you're doing for your planning the way you're working and the number of hours you're working and, and what's working really well for you and what's not re- working very well. And then what do you want your next best step to be? And I talk about this quite a bit on the podcast because it is such an important principle of time management. And so that's even something you could look at, Renee, and start to see like, okay, so when I write it out this way, this is helpful. Maybe writing it out this way isn't as helpful or keeping this information here isn't is redundant or something like that. And then looking at how do I refine that? Because there's no right or wrong way to manage your to-dos. It's just the way that you find that's right for you. And that process of evaluating consistently and with curiosity versus judgment is what I mean by that, is really the way that you figure that out. Yeah. And it's super important to figure out
0: because, you know, unlike a Decorating project, which tend to have a little bit looser guidelines that are pretty much structured by the actual designer. There might be some deadlines created by the clients. There's none on construction. There's no, there's no wiggle room on construction. There are hard deadlines have to be met. And I know I've heard from, from designers and members inside the course that they struggle with that is how to keep track of, you know, what I need to decide on what whether it's a specification or whether it's a delivery or both. And so I've always said, well, I write mine out. You know, I have it in Asana. I have the bigger picture, but I do write out, you know, those weekly and daily goals handwritten in, you know, these pretty pads of paper that luckily the uh, fabric companies usually give me when I'm in a showroom. (laughs) So, but, you know, I like lined paper. I, I, you know, I am that person. I like a good lined paper, not too far part not too close cuz I like mm-hmm. to write yeah I come from engineers I cannot help my brain the way it functions but uh no I I think it is it's an important component to to any designer and we'll get into this in a minute because Desi and I were talking before we got started that we are so focused on the immediate that we tend to lose focus on the bigger picture of our businesses because we're so busy keeping the business afloat. That next deadline met and then moved on to the next deadline and the next client and the next, 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 that we tend to to focus so heavily on that minutia that we lose sight of kind of that 30,000 foot view. And I, I know I have completely suffered from that, on and off for the past two decades that I've been out on my own. I mean, years have gone by when I've gone, oh wait, I haven't worked on my business in a little while because you're so busy.
1: Yeah, and that's where that later habit really comes into play. Because, so I like to think of your business as we've got to zoom out to zoom in. So we've got to know where you're going, where you're, you're headed, that GPS essentially, the destination, whether it ends up being the exact destination you end up at or not, it's helpful to have that point that you're aiming towards. And then once you have that, that makes it so much easier to decide what you're going to be working on this year, this quarter, this month, this week, this day, so that you're making really consistent progress on your goals. right? Because otherwise, with the later piece, the latering, if we don't break it down into those What I'm doing today, what I'm doing next week, this month, later becomes this sort of like lofty, fanciful place of, well, in a year or in three years or even like next month, I'll have all this time and the stars will align and then I'll be able to do this thing. Right. (laughs) And there's this like fantasy almost that we create of this person will be that feels like taking action on those things all the time or the perfect setup of like the clients won't bother me and neither will my employees and my kids will not be sick and ta-da, right? So we have to, of course, have that bigger picture, but we also need to know how that's connecting then to the present day and using that as a process that we use in tandem to kind of bounce back and forth between the two to take focused action that's very consistent and deliberate.
0: And I I was laughing because, as I told Desi when we first signed on, my children were not meant to be home during this recording. And I either didn't get the email or I missed the email that the clinic they were supposed to be attending was canceled. And so, yeah, I thought, okay, I'm going to drop them off. I'm going to come back. I'm going to sit at my desk. I'm going to clear things up and get going with Desi. And, yeah, of course, none of that happened. And, you know, had it not been for this call, Maybe the rest of my afternoon would have slid into a bit of of a jumble, basically. So, if anything, this call has you know refocused. Right, I'm, I've got the door closed. The kids are fine. Mine are teenagers. They're more than fine. Actually, I find them needier than than they were probably five years ago. But you know, I think you're right because I, I have certainly fallen into that trap for sure. Thinking I will do this project when, whether it's when in September, when they're back in school or when this project ends and I finally have that breathing space or when the whatever, and that's just latering. Absolutely. yeah. And the problem
1: is for, you know, the clients that I work with, they're very used to spreading themselves too thin and really being in that cycle of being over capacity. And when you're in that pattern, when things do end, let's say that project does end, you've already filled that space because the capacity issue hasn't been solved for. So it's like almost self-fulfilling, right? You're like, you're seeing that there's going to be this open space. You're later in to put the task there, but then you're not comfortable with having the open space. So you fill it with something else or haven't managed your workflow in a way that keeps the spacing there, and so the the later never comes. The later
0: never comes. Yes, I think that's probably the most brilliant thing. I mean, the later never comes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to go back to what you were saying about this call with you know that we had scheduled refocusing your time. That is why making decisions ahead of time is so important, and that's a big part of the time management process that I teach. Because when we're in the moment right? It could be easy to say like, well, my kids don't have camp. It's going to be a hassle. They're going to need me for X, Y, and Z. I'll just, I don't know, bring my computer out here and try and do some things. Or it's, no, I've decided this is what I'm doing this afternoon. These are deliverables that I'm going to produce by this time. That's already been laid out for you. And so in the moment when it's easier to say, oh, well, that can wait, You've already used the higher thinking part of your brain that has your future self and your best interest in mind to make a decision that's aligned with the future that you want. And so essentially, your future self had set you up to have this dedicated time. And now you're creating something that's going to be incredibly valuable for your clients and the listeners. Whereas when we don't make decisions ahead of time then we just are kind of left to the whim of our primitive brain that's really focused on what's going to be the easiest thing for me to do right now. And that's typically not what's going to get us what we want. Yeah, that
0: all makes perfect sense. And it would explain quite a bit uh, over the years and, and months and days. And I think you're right. The other problem that I know a lot of listeners have with construction projects is you think the project will end, let's say, end of August. And now we're getting better about our Mm -hmm. timing. And so you're committing yourself to something in September and, and, or maybe late August, they all overlap just a smidge. That project runs through September. And more often than not, you're starting that next project as opposed to pushing it off because you're fearful they'll be upset or they'll move on or they'll take, you know, whatever their chances with somebody else. And then all of a sudden, you are completely in over your head and overwhelmed with work. And what happens when you're overwhelmed? You make mistakes. And and on the construction side, mistakes can be very costly,
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, not only
0: financially, but with your reputation as well. And so I, I agree. I think that is one of the challenges for any designer managing construction is we think, it will finish at a certain time period. And the, the concept of, well, let me give myself two months of a buffer is going to freak out anyone listening right now. Cause they're like, I can't go two months without work. And, but on the other Except hand,
1: if we look at the facts, which is what I always suggest we do is cause that's a good way to just calm that dramatic part of our brain down is those two months are going to not be dead zone. They just won't be. So instead of hoping and wishing that maybe this time it's going to end on time or as scheduled, start to really plan for those more spacious deadlines for yourself and then have to reassure yourself that, yep, this is just what happens usually. I think that can be really helpful. So this is really important, I think, that we call out for your listeners when you're making decisions about deadlines that you're setting or when you're going to be starting a new project or a new client will be onboarding when we're in our current position, like in the here and now, when we think out, we often overestimate our like capacity or enthusiasm to do things. So I think it's really helpful to go to your future self, picture yourself in September or October or whenever it's going to be. And think about that present moment. When you're in that moment, in that month and you've got the project still going that you, you know, kind of knew it would still be going. And then, then the other one that you've agreed to be starting with, think about how you're going to feel then. I think it can be really helpful to mentally put yourself in that position in the future and do a check-in with yourself and then see, oh, how am I going to do? Is that really realistic? Am I going to be glad? that I made that decision, or am I going to be not so happy with myself? It's a great exercise too, when you have that little bit of inkling of, Ooh, I don't think this client is a good fit. Think about yourself one year from now, if they're still around, how are you going to feel? Yes. Absolutely. And we do talk about that because I have
0: had some horrendously toxic clients in the past and I was too afraid to fire them. The job was amazing. The client was a nightmare and I thought I I can do this. I'll just white knuckle through it. It took a, a large toll on me emotionally because she was mm-hmm. exhausting. Projects are beautiful, but was it worth it? No, mm-hmm. I'll be brutally honest. Looking back now, it was not worth it. And when she does email me, I have a visceral reaction. When mm. I see her email in my inbox, I literally am like, <gasps> now what? And yeah. it happens maybe once or twice a year about something stupid and random. And each time it's the same reaction after all. I mean, we probably started working together 10 years ago and I still get that visceral reaction. So Mm -hmm. I I applaud you for bringing that up because that is really, truly important to protect yourself and and also by all means, listen to your gut. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I also, I do talk about how to guide your client through when the best time is to start a project and and I like that you have changed the focus to when a designer should take on a project to envision themselves let's say it's September and and again my kids are older but September is a busy month and I don't have little ones you know and and starting a project in September I now know is not fun It's just not. Your Your Mm -hmm. brain is in a zillion different directions. You're being pulled. You're all of a sudden it back to schedules you haven't had for several months. And I I think we as designers, in particular now, coming off of quiet months, I call them the quiet months of summer, you know, Mm -hmm. all the designers freak out because their phones aren't ringing. Well, you're on vacation and so are your clients and potential clients. And so they say yes to everything, right? Because they think this is the last phone call I'm ever going to get. You know, and and then they load up early fall and and it's it's not enjoyable and nobody enjoys it. The client doesn't enjoy it. They will feel that the project doesn't start on a good foot. Everything about that. I think that's important that you pointed out that we as designers are allowed to choose when we take on projects.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have a sense of what your process is, the timelines, the the realistic timelines of what it takes to implement the work. So that way, you know how to stagger projects. And I know that things happen. I mean, no project in the history of time has ever gone exactly (laughs) according to plan. Never. Right. But that doesn't mean you still shouldn't make the intentional plan to use it the best that you can. And I love that you brought up the, the saying yes to everything. I was just talking to someone about that actually this morning. Yeah, I think that's why that emotional resilience piece, I think that is something that's very different about the way that I coach. And I bring in a lot of my skills as a master certified coach with life coaching and emotional management, because there is so much of that that's beyond the strategy of running your interior design business, whether that is being the CEO, whether it's hiring, whether it's managing your time a huge part of it is really who you're being in the business and how you support yourself through the ups and downs, whether those ups and downs are actual math, where there's actual ups and downs in your business, or just the ups and downs of the emotional roller coaster that can come along with entrepreneurship.
0: And I agree with you, because I think a lot of the designers, at least that I come in contact with, are in either very small firms or solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. And there's no one next to you going, Come on, Renee, you know you can't take that project on in September. You're nuts. And you go, Oh, you're right. Yeah. You need that little validation. And when you don't have that, you do tend to either get completely twisted in your own thoughts or or you start thinking, I I, I can do it. I have to do it. I must do it. You know, you get mm-hmm. down in those those adjectives that just don't serve you in the end. And, and I'm only saying this from experience, firsthand experience, mind you.
1: Yeah, no, I totally get it. I had to, and I think that that's really relevant to the importance of coaching, having that outside perspective. I always say you can't read the label from inside the bottle, right? Because we're so, we're so in our own thoughts and I, of course, provide that external perspective. You provide external perspective for your clients. And then also, one of the things that I think is so important is we work with our clients to help them understand what their thought processes are and start to recognize when certain patterns are arising. I mean, this is something I've been doing for a long time now. And so I'm, I tend to be pretty aware of my thought patterns, but I still miss stuff. But also, I'm, you know, recognizing them. And even today, I kind of was a little bit laughing at myself because about a week ago, I had this idea of something that I thought, Oh, that would be really, really fun to offer in September. And I'm like, Oh, this would be so fun. I bet people would really like this. I'd really like to teach this. And I mean, it's like your brain's really good at convincing you. And then I started thinking, all right, what is that going to take for me to deliver on? One of the things I teach is the project breakdown process, and and this is how you really plan out a project and really get an understanding and wrap your arms around what it's going to take to execute and deliver on something. And I started thinking through that, and I thought, wait a second, Desi, you are telling yourself lies. (laughs) There is not time to do this. (laughs) Right. Right. It's a great idea. And I'm going to put that on my ideas list and I will revisit that some other time, but you have to be on to yourself because your brain will, you know, it's not trying to to be a, a detriment to you. It's a very powerful tool that we have. And at the same time, it can lead us astray. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was telling Desi in the beginning of this, that we're revamping the website and I thought, sure, I'm going to outsource that. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, I did not break down that project to realize just how much involvement would be from me required not just I like to stick my nose in things but required copy you know choosing photographs you know layouts the the works and um and not and not just the editing part. And so of course that was somewhat came as a bit of a surprise but yet shouldn't have come as a surprise because I like you I can do muscle memory doing a construction project, but it's the other tasks. And I want you Desi to talk about this as that CEO mindset. It's, it's again, hard for me to see myself as a CEO of my own business because I'm busy doing the work for the business as opposed to in the business. And that that's the perfect example. I was thrilled to do the website. I'm excited it's coming out soon. And I had a ton of work to do to make that happen, regardless of me paying someone to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why typically I recommend before committing to anything, you do break down that project. I did have another fun idea that I am going to be offering this fall. But it was interesting to break it down of what are my deliverables? What is my team going to help me with and figuring that out? Because there is a true overhead to anything new that you implement, whether it's your involvement in it from writing the actual copy or it's communicating and reviewing what the other person does. There's always logistics that you have to take into account and those things take up time. And I think to your point about the CEO mindset, It's interesting because we do flip-flop between the two roles often. Sometimes we do it in in the same day. Sometimes we have theme days where we are all in on the deliverables. Some days we're more in that CEO role. But we do have to proactively set aside time where we are in that, I call it the worker bee mode, because we, we do have things to deliver to clients. You have to make selections, write specifications, especially if you don't have a team. But then also you need to have time to be the leader of your business. I know not everyone resonates with the CEO term, but I really think that it's important to start really thinking about ourselves as leaders in our business and leading ourselves as CEOs, because it will change the way that you value your own time and the respect that you require From yourself to yourself, and the same from your clients as well. Because I think often as designers, we're very concerned about the clients being happy, which absolutely makes sense. But if you don't take the time to proactively lead your business and grow your business and streamline your business, the clients suffer. Yes, you might get them the response to the email within two minutes instead of two hours. But that level of reactivity in your business is actually preventing you from delivering that excellent client experience and working with the caliber of client that you want to work with because you've been setting aside time to market or to update your portfolio with your best fit project images. So I think often we're thinking it's like to the detriment of the client If we prioritize being the CEO, but it actually is going to end up benefiting everyone as a whole. Yeah,
0: I think designers really need to hear that and pay closer attention to it. And and you had mentioned that the theme of the day, I did try time blocking, I, I will admit, I was incredibly enticed by the idea. Because again, I always feel like I'm sort of flailing about on some days and time blocking made me feel guilty. And sad, and but then someone recommended that I block the day and tag the day, and that actually has worked tremendously better. So one day is marketing, one day might be coursework, one day might be podcast, one day might be you know uh, client whatever, building out a fee structure, or you know, and that has actually been so much more effective. And I mean, I still do other tasks within that day, but it, it does sort of make me circle back like, oh, wait, today's the marketing day. What else can I be doing or should I be doing or who should I be responding to? That isn't necessarily an immediate client issue question, what have you. Um, yeah. And
1: I love that because So for some of my clients, they go all in on the whole color-coded like Google calendar. And some clients are on the opposite end of, I'm going to write my three priorities for the day, and that's how I'm going to manage my time. And I think there's lots of different ways to do it. But what you're telling me is you made decisions ahead of time about the type of work that's going to be produced. And also, you decided ahead of time when things were happening. And you also decided what those results were that are going to happen by the end of the day. And so what you're demonstrating again is that power of decisions ahead of time and being focused on the results that you're producing rather than just taking action, which is always going to be more effective.
0: It also showed me how many things I put on my to-do list that weren't humanly possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) under any circumstance to get done. And the minute they got pushed to the next day, it was depressing. It was like, oh, I didn't get anything done. Oh, I I failed today. Or, oh, I, you know, wasn't as focused as I needed to be. When in fact, it really was, who did you think you were putting 14, you know, actionable items on this list when seven of them will take a week to accomplish, you know, not an hour. Yeah.
1: And that's really why I encourage my clients to give an estimate of time that they want to spend on producing a specific result. Because then it checks you in with reality. That's mainly how I use time blocking or think about it. I don't think of time blocking as like, well, I'm gonna do this in five minutes and this in 23 minutes. And if I don't accomplish it in 23 minutes, I've failed for the day and everything's ruined. <laughs> but when we start to lay it out on our calendar of like, okay, realistically, I probably needed an hour for that. It's gonna take me 30 minutes to drive to this place and 30 minutes to drive to this place. Once you start laying it out, on your calendar, it becomes quite clear what you do and don't have time for. And so I think that's the real benefit of giving some time constraints or time parameters within like a traditional, more traditional time blocking system.
0: Which again, goes to when I can take on projects, when I can start the next one, you know, how many I can handle at one time, I remember early in my career, when I was out on my own, people would ask me how many projects I was running. And for whatever reason, obviously insecurities, I would, you know, list them all. And I say something like eight. And I remember at the time I'd get two different reactions. People who had no idea what they were doing and you know no idea what I was doing in the business were like, wow, oh, okay. So you're not that busy. And then people who knew the business, they're like, how are you possibly managing eight projects. Mm -hmm. And then I would slice and dice and say, okay, well, these three, I'm getting two pieces of furniture and some accessories. And, you know, and so it was a huge mindset shift to say, I'm only running four projects. And because again, you'll hear that from people be like, oh, well, hopefully you'll get busier soon. And you're going, no, you you don't understand, but the, the fewer the projects I'm running means they're big enough to mm-hmm. to carry my whole load. But, it, you know, it's different from different industries. And so I think designers get stuck in that, like, oh, I'm only working five jobs. Okay, well, what type of job is that? And and it, I have a feeling you're busier than you think, and yeah. you're just latering things like, mm-hmm. to circle back to that. And so it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing as much as you actually are. hmm Yeah,
1: yeah. Or I can see the other side of this, too, where you've got projects that are slated to start, but not right now. I see this sometimes, this thought pattern with the, they're going to start later, but you're already worried about them right now, even though the client isn't expecting anything. Of you, you're you already considering that as part of your current workload. And it's really just this mental workload that you have around the anxiety of and the anticipation of starting, even though it doesn't start till later. That's another way that you could kind of think about that too. I, or just, I see it show up.
0: I couldn't agree more because I will absolutely do that the minute I start talking to someone about a project I'm seeing light fixtures I want to use I'm seeing this and I'm like wait no yeah I haven't started the project yet but I'm like if I don't write it down I'll never remember it which of course is not true (laughs) but your brain just starts on the project right Mm because you're excited you want to get going I'm going to move that wall I'm going to do
1: this I'm going to do that yeah and that's one of the reasons when we're latering, especially like it's something you say you're wanting to do and you're not doing it, or it's something you're excited to get to, but it's a not right now, it can be really helpful to decide, all right, if it's not happening now, when is it happening? So again, those decisions ahead of time to just calm your brain down to say, all right, so if I'm not going to do it now, let's get real. Am I actually ever going to do this? Be honest with yourself. (laughs) And if it's not, let it go, because then you can just stop blaming yourself for whatever pattern you're in. Right. But if, if it is something you really have an intention to get to, make a plan then. And then you can stop it hanging over your head. Or if it's something you're like really itching to get going on, let yourself know this is when I'm going to get going on it. So you have something to look forward to and your brain can calm down and say, OK, there is a place for that. I know when I'll get to it. I I think that's another really key piece of intentional planning, again, is is calming the brain down and getting it back to the present moment and having sort of, I I think of that expression, a place for everything and everything in its place. But that can be with your systems and project management as well. That makes perfect sense. And then Desi, you have a two-part
0: Podcast out about saving five hours of time or getting mm-hmm. five hours back. Yep. I'll be honest, I thought you were crazy when I just saw the title. I was like, there's no way you can still be the, as productive and yet save five hours. Can you? Because I know there's not a single person listening, designer or not, that wouldn't like to take back five hours of their day or their week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so if you're interested in this, definitely check out those two episodes because I go in depth around how I went about this, how I thought about it, the strategies I use. And we'll have the links in the show notes to those. Mm -hmm. But so this was part of something that I did through my master coach training. We had to come up with our own project. And there was this very rigorous acceptance and uh, approval process that I won't get into. But anyways, we had to think of something we thought would be impossible. And at this point, I have really streamlined my days. I've really streamlined my business. And I thought, well, there's no way I could do that. But I proved myself wrong. And it was really fun because I used the exact same tools that I teach my clients in Out of Overwhelm to manage their time. Because honestly, every single module in Out of Overwhelm you could use just to reclaim those five hours because there's, there's so many ways that we leak time and energy throughout our week, whether that's like not having proper boundaries, being in a people-pleasing mode, being a what I call a control enthusiast and not actually delegating. Right. So there's lots of ways that we do this, but I outline in the episode, the time management approaches that I use to reduce the hours. And they're very simple. Renee's like, yep.
0: They are very simple. And, <sighs> and I was listening. I was actually on vacation, listening, thinking, actually, I could probably do that. And in fact, I was telling Desi, I probably saved about 30 minutes a week by just changing the podcast art, which is, you know, kind of trivial, but it's probably saved me 20 to 30 minutes every week of not searching for an image that aligned with the topic of the episode. And I am sure none of the listeners noticed Or if they did notice, it was a nanosecond in life, and they moved straight forward. And I was wasting thirty minutes of my time every week doing that. And the reason I brought this up also with Desi is I've been hearing a lot lately from designers who are like, "I really want to learn more." And then again, fill in the blank. It's not just about construction; it's about time management, or it's about you know processes and systems and there. But once I'm done this, then I'll. Take that on or get that next step in my to do, you know, in my queue. And what what worries me, what I know worries Desi is that one later never happens or two, that later puts off the knowledge and the skills that that designers need to be building to, to stay successful or grow their businesses and or grow their businesses at the same time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why, like I said, the, the strategies are simple and I lay them out for you in the podcast episode. But then there's also the second part of the podcast where it talks about who I had to become and things that I needed to change internally in order to create the external result of five hours less. And this is really how I have the program set up is we learn the time management strategies, but then we learn all the things. That are going to support the time management, how you're showing up in your business, how you're clearly communicating with others, whether that's employees or your clients or contractors and trade partners. A lot of it is how you're showing up. And so, you know, I found, was finding little ways I was still over-perfecting things, like what you were saying, oh, I'd be searching for the perfect podcast image. Same thing, like little things with talks I'd give or, a page on my website, and I'm like, oh, well, the the spacing between those things could be a little bit less and that my designer eye picks up on, but also it's not going to prevent me from helping you. And so <laughs> there's little things like that. I just gave a, a presentation for my DOMA where we talked a lot about overing, the the over-controlling, the over-perfecting, over-deciding, all those overing things we have to learn to manage ourselves with. So that we can reclaim that time, and then that just you know gives us an opportunity to say like, is that going to make a measurable difference to the results of my business, to the way that my clients experience my service, right? And make some informed decisions. So I really like to think of that taking back the five hours as really like, yes, I'm implementing strategies, but also how do I show up? What am I going to change about me and who I'm being? and becoming that next level version of the CEO that I am in my business.
0: Yeah. And I'm laughing because again, I'm picturing myself sweating the details of every edit to this new website. And, and I did catch myself once I'm like, Renee, let it go. There is no way anyone will notice what you are just sweating right now. And (laughs) it's good enough. And, and, you know, I think, designers think good enough is a negative um, or a cop-out or an excuse. And I, again, I think the point would be to, to see good enough as just like what you just said, is it going to impact my client's experience? Is it going to, you know, it was funny, you said spacing, because this was about spacing and taking these two blocks of text and whether there was a line in between or open space. I mean, really, is someone not going to hire me because like, wow, Renee chose the line in between. Nope, nope, she's not for me. But I probably spent, I don't know, better part of half an hour thinking it over, looking at other sites,
1: seeing, Mm -hmm. I mean, so. And that really uh, is about self-trust then. Absolutely. That's not about the line. It's about self trust. Correct. Mm -hmm. And
0: so, but but I think we get hung up with, I'm not going to stop at good enough. I'm only going to seek perfection. And while there is some admirable qualities, it's just not a, it's not sustainable. And so I, I wish good enough had a better connotation, but it tends to mean, or at least for me, it tends to mean like, all right, it's, you know, Borderline, or it's a B or it's a C, when in fact, it it is nothing to do with any of that other than it is actually good enough. And that's a positive attribute.
1: Yeah, I work with my clients on that all the time because I actually, and this is something I think would be an interesting podcast episode in the future. I currently, I already have one that's kind of compares and contrasts excellence versus perfection, which I think is really important to look at. It's, It's similar to what you're saying about the good enough of. What do you want to decide matters to you, to your clients, what have you? But I think a lot of us think perfectionism is a noteworthy quality. (laughs) Yep. Of that, that is somehow a good thing. And their attention to detail, having great pride in the work that you produce—absolutely, I'm hundred percent on board with that. But if you look at the actual definition of perfection, it doesn't exist. And even if you think it's perfect, which it's really just a thought, it's a decision you make to decide that something you've done is perfect. Some other person, your client, another designer, some random person on the internet is going to have something to say about it. And so no matter how much you think, overthink something to get it to be quote unquote perfect, it still might not be perfect. And so I say that in hopes that that's a bit of a relief. Because chasing that perfectionism is so, so exhausting and time-consuming.
0: Absolutely. And I, I
1: have, again,
0: been guilty of that, searching for the perfect bathtub, with the perfect faucet, with the, you know, and then inevitably years ago, I remember I thought I had found quote the perfect one and then the job mm-hmm. finished and I walked in a you know, a plumbing supply and I saw this, I'm like, oh my God, that one would have been perfect. You know, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was filled with regret. The client loved the project. It was beautiful. I was happy with it until I saw something that quote was better for it. And I do think, I know again, I've fallen victim to that where I'll, I'll specify, you know, I'll take 10 fabrics to a client when I know damn well, that three of them are the right ones, but I'll take 10 just in case, right. Just, you know, just in case quote, save time. It's not saving time. It's, I have a hard time committing to these two fabrics, you're going to have to just trust me.
1: You've hired me for my expertise. These are the right ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so seeing yourself as that expert, and again, that self-trust piece allows you to then take those two fabrics and say, look, I've done it all. I've looked at it all. These are the best of the best. I know that one of these is for you. Let's make a decision.
0: Yeah. And for those listening, that just what Desi just said terrified you. And I know that because it, it does, I'm much better at it now, but it it's still, there's a part of me that it still does terrify to stick, quote, stick your neck out. But the facts remain. Now, it's funny, I can do it on a construction site all day long because again, it's muscle memory at this point. I'm very confident in my decision-making, but there are certain aspects where I will second guess and then third guess and then fourth guess it and flip it over and second guess and third guess
1: and fourth guess the other side of it. But I I think we're all a work in process, or oh, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And I always like to think about things from a client experience perspective. So that if that does terrify you to say I'm going to only bring two options, I want you to put yourself in the place of the client who's hired you for your expertise, and they want to be led. That is a service to them that they're not having to look at all of those options, right? From a time perspective, you don't have to go through all of them. You're not going to leave them where they're tossing and turning at night. Like, should I go with option one or eight or six? It's a benefit for everyone. If that helps your listeners wrap their head around that a little bit. No, I I agree. I absolutely agree. And I have had actually
0: clients say, these are too many options, Renee. Which which one should I pick?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that that was years ago. But I, I remember which client said that to me and it was a it was an aha moment. I'm like, wait mm-hmm. a minute, you're right. She just wants me to tell her which is the right one for her because she's seen my work, she trusts me, and I am, in her mind, the expert. And for whatever reason, I have fallen victim to this as, as many, many listeners have as well. Seeing ourselves as the expert is probably the biggest challenge. It's not the actual work.
1: Yeah. It's really about self-concept. It's something that I love to coach clients on. It is self-concept is really just how you view yourself. It's how you perceive yourself, how you believe others perceive you. It's that identity that is so, so key to running a successful firm. That's, the identity of a CEO, even as we were talking about that, seeing yourself as the leader and trusting yourself as the leader of your projects, of your business. So, so important.
0: And so I have designers reaching out to me and they say, Okay, you know, I get that, Renee. And and yes, I know for myself, it took years of experience to build that confidence that I do know what I'm doing. I still make mistakes. That's, you know, has to be said. Of course. Everyone will. You will till the end of your career. Exactly. And so designers will say to me, well, then how do I build that confidence? And, you know, of course I, I'm very old school. I'm like, you need to get the skills. You need to get the knowledge you need to get, you need to build your experience. And so what do you have any kind of, I don't want to say baby steps because it's all forward motion as far as, as being that kind of that self-reflective, and I know I'm I'm sort of having a hard time putting this into words. There are times where if I am second-guessing myself on a project, I immediately think to another project that was similar and how did I manage that? And that is how I go, oh, that's right. I fixed it this way. This is gonna work again. Now I know my path. I might do that in about a three-minute moment, right? I I may Mm -hmm. even be standing around with a bunch of guys and in my head, I'm rolling through previous jobs, but not all of the designers listening have that kind of rolodex of past projects. So, how would you advise a designer to sort of pep talk or or so whatever that terminology is in that moment?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have a podcast episode about confidence. If this is something that you struggle with, I really like to look at confidence in two different buckets. There's the evidence based confidence, and then there's the Self concept identity confidence. So, of course, it's nice when we have the evidence of, oh, I've done this. I feel confident that I can do it again. I have this skill set. I've got this experience or this degree. That's nice when we can lean on that. And at the same time, we're in an industry where we're always learning something new. And so, yes, there's going to be things you're going to, for the most part, master, but there's always going to be learning new things and learning new. Tools and new products. So we have to then shift to more of that identity concept around confidence, where we believe about ourselves I trust myself to figure this out. I know I can figure it out. Like, I think one of the best beliefs I have about myself is I know I'm going to figure it out. Or something along the lines of, yeah, something might go wrong, but whatever it is, I know how to handle it. Because I mean, okay, let's talk about designers and their ability to problem solve. We are expert problem solvers. Yes. So if something comes up, chances are, you're gonna figure it out. And so if you can lean more on that self-concept of I'm a problem solver, if something happens, I know I can handle it. I know I'll figure it out. That's a really great way to give yourself confidence in the absence of evidence. And I think both can be really useful to have in your business. But we need to know when we're trying to rely on evidence based confidence and we don't have evidence, then we need to be aware of that and say, okay, I don't have the evidence. And I'm not going to wait around for the evidence to feel confident in my ability to be capable of figuring this out. And that's
0: really important because I think that's what happens. People say, I don't have the evidence therefore i can't boost my confidence but i, I like your your point about the self identity and we do talk about that in that you work with clients all day the designers that i speak with have flourishing decorating you know projects and like you're still problem solving you're still fixing any issue that comes up you can manage and there just may be different terminology or different just a different type of problem on a construction project. It doesn't mean you can't figure it out. One thing I always try to encourage designers is not to try to figure it out in that moment.
1: It's okay
0: (laughs) to say, I got to look into this. Let me get back to you. I'll let you know later today. I'll call you in the morning and then do something whether it's research or ask another trade. I I've been known to call my trades, not on a project and ask them, you know, a question like, Hey, I've run into this. Have you experienced that? And they'll say, yeah, sure. Or no, Renee, I haven't, but maybe you should call this guy, you know? And, and I, I think that's a really important part. You just mentioned that, that everybody is assuming there's evidence. And when there's no evidence, that means they're in trouble.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, starting to broaden your your definition of evidence can be really helpful, whether that's on a different project where you did something that was maybe not exactly the same or had to navigate something that wasn't totally the specific circumstance. How could that extrapolate to some evidence here? Or even, you know, I see a lot of designers who come to design as a second career use that against themselves and completely dismiss the incredible skill sets they're bringing with into the design industry, and that's not to say they're not going to need to learn some some things about design specifically. But at the same time, if you have a really strong skill set from somewhere else, how does that apply to what you're now doing in the design business? That can be really powerful as well.
0: Absolutely. And you're right, they do. They, they think it's a negative that they're taking on design as a second career. And then you're right, they completely forget what they were succeeding in in some other industry that can mm-hmm. absolutely be applied in some way, right? Maybe not always, but there's something they can lean on in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a uh,
1: career or volunteer positions. Sure. I mean, even in your own role as a partner to somebody or a parent, Right. Like if you think about even a lot of designers feel like, oh, I'm not good at sales or I don't like selling. But I mean, we sell all the time. If you have kids, you got to get get them to like do their homework, put their shoes on, um, sell them on. Why doing this family outing is going to be actually a very fun time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But they they negate that because like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, it's not in the client. I'm not in someone's living room. It's intimidating okay, there are going to be some intimidating moments, but, but I agree with you, Desi. I think there's a lot more, maybe the, the term evidence, it's not your traditional evidence, but there is plenty to, to boost that that confidence in that moment, but also to take a deep breath and ask for time because again, we're people pleasers and we want to be able to give that answer, that perfect answer in that nanosecond that something went
1: wrong. Yeah, um, and I think that's really Powerful to think about. When do you need to pause? Whether that's being asked a question you don't have the answer to, to a request for your time, energy, and attention. When do you need to pause? Because what actually happens when we get into that panic state that happens often with people pleasing is that our higher level thinking of our brain actually starts to become less active, and the primitive part of our brain gets hyped up. And so when that starts to happen, our logical reasoning and critical thinking skills are actually not as high as they could be. And so by taking those pa- that pause and separating yourself from the situation, giving yourself a moment to regulate, you'll actually come up with higher quality solutions and be able to come to better answers when you're calmed down and in a steady state.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely. And I think it's, again, the insecurities of, oh, my gosh, they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm going to say something in this moment to prove my worth. And just like you just described, you're actually going to prove that you don't know what you're doing in that Mm -hmm. moment and shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, this would be something to really freak your listeners out. (laughs) So, right, like often we'll have that thought of they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. Ask yourself, yeah, so what if that happens? What if they do think that? Right. Then what? Yep. And that's again where that self-confidence piece comes into play of, okay, so let's say some contractor on the job site says, says that or has that thought. How will I handle it? What will I do about it? What do I want to believe about myself in that moment? Even right. if someone else's opinion of me is different. Yeah. And like that is confidence right there. Exactly. Being able to have your own back to that level.
0: Yes. And it, it is intimidating. I mean, look, the podcast is called the only girl on the job site being the only female traditionally in a room full of men already. Your confidence Mm -hmm. is, is being challenged and you are, you are probably in a, secondary position trying to prove your your why you're there in the first place, right? And that's not fair. And that's a, a whole nother conversation, um, gender and all of that stuff that comes with it. But you're right. You need to in that moment say, I don't really care what Joe thinks of me. Right. You know, Joe had a first day. I bet I could say three things in in five minutes that Joe has no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do without the confidence piece. Right. I because I didn't used to be able to do that, I would have the most amazing comebacks in the car after the meeting. <laughs>
1: I That's feel like, because your body has calmed down. Yeah, and it makes sense now. Yeah. Yes,
0: mm-hmm. but it is hard. And, and I also always encourage designers to realize we all had a first anything. We've all had a first first date. We've all had a first a friend. We've all had a first day on the job. We've all had a first experience, and and just because my first is coming at a different time from your first, does not negate the fact that you also had a first. And I think people lose track of that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I and I mean the trades too. They forget that you know their first day learning about whatever plumbing nightmare scenario that is going on, they didn't know at the time either. They do mm-hmm. now they've known for 20 years, let's say, Yeah. and they're forgetting that someone at some point had to explain it to them.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that's been a useful exercise for me is when I see somebody else having their first day. I mean, this is kind of a silly example, but I was at Target the other night having to pick up some things and there was a new person at the checkout. And, you know, the, the supervisor was apologizing for him. He was, and it's like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. I'm in no rush. Like take your time. Yep. And in extending that to others is a way to help build that evidence for yourself that someone might extend that generosity to yourself.
0: And I find in that moment, um, let's say this, there's a grumpy plumber and cause I could probably list you 10 experiences with a <laughs> grumpy plumber. And i You know, once I had that confidence piece more secure, I would turn it around. Hey, who taught you this? And it is fascinating to ask them who taught whatever they are teaching me. They immediately know and they immediately break that snarky, you know, tone in their voice because I'm recognizing that I'm learning, right? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm okay. to. I'm actually excited to learn because I'm now going to apply that knowledge the next time but it also is me saying hey you had to be taught this too nobody mm-hmm. came out of the womb knowing how <laughs> to fix the plumbing right let's let's be fair here yeah. but i think it's okay and cuz i always I, you know caution designers not to be brash on projects again it's a gender thing that never plays well for the the designer on the project but i think it's okay to be assertive with curiosity attached to mm, it. I love it. And mm-hmm. and that's me curious. One, I, I want to know more about this guy. Tell me about your your career. How did you get started? I'm actually the, I would call myself the weirdo on the job. I'm always the one going, oh my God, how'd you get into this? And they're like, what? Wait, you want to know something about me? I'm like, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad that it's disarming to them. Because no one else is asking that, clearly. And the secondary part is they are much more conducive and interested in sharing their knowledge and teaching me what they know. And along the way, it's helping them because now I know it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think there's so much to be said about that. Just treating someone as another human being. Absolutely. And I mean, essentially, you're saying you matter. What you're doing matters. Your background matters
0: does matter tremendously because you need them to bring their highest level of skill to whatever that is, whether it's an electrician, a plumber, a roofer, you know, guys carrying in, you know, the day laborers, Mm -hmm. they all, without any of them, the project comes to a halt. And I I think people lose sight of that. And and so I agree. I think some of it, again, I will go back. It is a confidence issue. And and I do, and I recognize that I am now talking with 30 years of experience. And yes, my confidence is pretty solid, not unshakable,
1: but solid. But 10 years ago, yeah, yeah I was still working on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that evidence doesn't help.
0: Yeah, or time exactly.
1: Is, you know, it does. It's nice to have. Exactly. It's just we have to watch when we're wishing there was evidence when there can't be right. Or letting it hold you
0: back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes. I see a lot of that. Well, mm-hmm. until I get the experience, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. And that to so me, how do you
1: get the experience?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I think I just want to circle back to you applauding all of the people that contribute to the project as mattering so much to the end result How can you turn that on yourself? Because I I think what you're saying is yes, the confidence piece is something that you have to work on. And how can you start to see yourself as a vital part of that team to build the confidence, right? Like we all know that the house can't be built without the plumber. And how can the house not be built without you? And I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, right? Because somebody could go to Home Depot if they wanted, (laughs) but it's like to get the quality of product and quality of end result that you offer your client, you are an essential part of that team. And so the more that you can remind yourself of that and look for the evidence of where you do have expertise, where you're adding value to the team, the more you can build that internal confidence for yourself.
0: That's brilliant. No, and I agree with that. And and (laughs) I am in Delaware. Everyone listening always knows. And during COVID, Delaware deemed construction a necessary profession. Mm -hmm. And so since I was on construction projects, I was a necessary worker. Mm -hmm. And I caught endless crap from friends who have always been like, wait, you?
1: You are essential?
0: (laughs) You're an essential worker? I'm like, indeed I am. You know, and it took that. Now in Pennsylvania, they shut down construction. I was not essential in Pennsylvania, but in Delaware, they deemed us essential. And then I, while it was funny, it was a good reminder that Mm -hmm. yes, I am an essential part of every project that I'm on. And Mm -hmm. I don't always remind myself of that i do when they're good days and i do unfortunately when they're bad days and it's the days in between that i think designers need to to remind themselves that i'm actually giving a lot of value and moving this project along because
1: of my expertise
0: at whatever the yeah. level that is
1: a really tangible thing your listeners could do is just even for the next week a couple weeks would be great too is to just answer the question for themselves what value did I bring to this project today? What expertise did I share with my clients? You know, think of a, a question that resonates for you, but it will start getting your brain in the habit of looking for that evidence. And just even a short while of doing that can make a huge impact.
0: That's a great idea. I mean, and because and some of that value technically could be, I answered two questions today. That a contractor couldn't answer without me. I mean, it doesn't have to be some monumental
1: piece. Yeah, I troubleshooted something on the, the job site. Yeah. That kept and, the project moving forward. I mean, it could be so many different things.
0: And I would add future value.
1: Mm-hmm. So if a plumber
0: is teaching me something about the latest, whatever, valve, the issue that's happening in the, you know the industry, that's future value for my next client.
1: Yes. Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I'm always saying to the guy, I'm like, hey, this is amazing. I can't wait to use this, you know, my next project. I I hope I don't need to, but if I do, now I'm going to tuck this one away. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's great. Well, Desi, you have more episodes that my listeners need to listen to because it is all about this and so much more. And I think we as designers, because we're people pleasers, we forget that we need to please ourselves and we need to boost our confidence boost our self esteem and that i think is derived by controlling your mindset controlling your time putting up boundaries that are logical for you right my boundaries mm-hmm. aren't going to be the same as your boundaries and i think that's something that that again we are so busy in the in the day to day that mm-hmm. we forget that if we kind of lose our minds then everything is out the window anyway yep. <laughs> right exactly exactly uh, but I I really, I can't thank you enough. And I love, love, love that homework. And actually, I'm going to tell designers listening, feel free to email me your um, your list. I'd love to see what value you have brought to projects this week, next week. And like Desi said, if you can do it for a couple of weeks, it'll, it'll be something that you now then look for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're doing it, definitely let me know too.
0: Absolutely. I yeah. think that's great. And I'm actually going to start writing it down, right? I mean, we we can all use that as a tool to reinforce what we already know, frankly, but aren't thinking about on enough days. Yeah. It's like bringing it, it's like background noise,
1: bringing it to the forefront.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. Well, Desi, I, again, I can't thank you enough. I know this has been hugely valuable for our listeners and um, we will have all of those episodes in uh, the show notes. but how else can my
1: listeners find you? Oh, well, thank you, Renee. I always enjoy chatting with you, whether it's being recorded or not. (laughs) So yeah, definitely head over to my website. That's the best place to find me, desicresswell.com. You can also do desicresswell.com forward slash planner to get a copy of the Interior Designers Get It Done Daily Planner, where I give you my five best time-saving tips. So that's another great one to check out. And then also the podcast, The Interior Design Business CEO is an excellent resource as well. Absolutely, we will have all of that
0: in the show notes so people can easily find you and tap into all of your resources.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much, Renee. Thanks, Desi. Thank you for
0: listening. And I hope you heard something that you can apply to a project today. If you're ready to increase your construction projects in your business, check out the details on my signature course, The Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management. It's a six-part digital course that will save you a three-year learning curve, get you profitable, bring in an income and lifestyle that makes sense for you by learning the top strategies, what works and what doesn't, building your confidence so you're no longer paddling to stay afloat, or worse, learning how to manage construction on a client's project. Through the course, I'm handing over 30 years of top strategies and advice. Head to my website, davignadesign.com, for more details on the Interior Designer's Guide to Construction Management and become educated and empowered for your next construction project.